Sunset Lake CBD is a majority employee-owned hemp farm located right outside of Burlington, Vermont. Before they started growing hemp, Sunset Lake Farms produced cream for Ben & Jerry's. Sunset Lake CBD doesn't use any pesticides or herbicides to grow any of its hemp plants, and they use organic fertilizer and other sustainable farming techniques to ensure the long-term health of the soil and to minimize their carbon footprint. So like all of us, my days are really stressful. By the end of the night, my kids are in bed, I'm taking a minute to chill, but I'm still unwinding. I recently started using the Relax Gummies infused with CBD isolate, reishi mushroom extract, and ashwagandha root extract. I'm really glad I tried these because they really helped me get ready for a good night of sleep, and I really think I sleep better, so I'd highly recommend it. So check out Sunset Lake CBD today at sunsetlakecbd.com and use the code HFPOD for 20% off your order. That's sunsetlakecbd.com and use the code HFPOD for 20% off your order. Farmer-owned, Vermont-grown, Sunset Lake CBD. Hi, listeners. I want to tell you about a cause that I'm involved with at Heritage Radio Network. HRN is celebrating its 15th year And to celebrate, we're deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Hey, listeners, I want to tell you about a sponsor, Music Masters Collective. They're a nonprofit organization that produces unique music events, providing opportunities for fans and artists to meet and collaborate in an inspired and creative atmosphere. Every week, they host different events, all with the opportunity to learn from world-class musicians like O'Teal Burbridge, Trouble No More, former members of the band, Milk Carton Kids, Nikki Glaspie, Bill Frizzell, Sean Colvin, and many more. This June, join the Fab Foe, Joan Osborne, John Sebastian, Marshall Crenshaw, and a great group of faculty for the debut of Magical Mystery Camp. This all-inclusive, once-in-a-lifetime music vacation experience in the heart of the Catskills will be packed with nightly performances, workshops, speakers, song circles, open mics, and a lot more. If you're a performing musician at any level, bring your instrument. If you're a music lover, bring your good spirit. It's an amazing experience for individuals, friends, and couples alike. Registration is open, spots are filling up, so check it out soon. And scholarships are available. Check out magicalmysterycamp.com slash helpingfriendly to learn more. Osiris. Hello and welcome to the Helping Friendly Podcast on this Monday, July 18th, 2022. 
the 19th anniversary of my second fish show at Alpine Valley in East Troy, Wisconsin, where I witnessed one of the greatest downward diseases I think that has ever been played, which went into the first catapult I've ever seen, and I would not see another catapult until Dick's 2021. It was a special night. It was a very special night. Would you say that all of your gaps, um, outstanding gaps as a as a fish fan, have been closed by a show at Dick's? Like, <laughs> I would say, been, like, well, yeah, resolving all of the things that you've been looking for for a great many years. At that, I would at, say most the, of them. Yeah, like I saw, like one thing I'd been chasing that I never thought I would ever get was a first set Harry Hood, and then curveball happens which i wished on no one i want to be very clear i wished on no one but the band comes out at dicks i had to bring it up because it's relevant the band comes out at dicks and plays this very heavy very emotive show and what is the one song to play that is very heavy and very emotive terry hood of course um i would also say august 31st 2012 was my it was right around my 30th show and if you go through my stats and you look at fish.net reviews, you could oh, make a very – you could. You, 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 you have and you could. You could make a very strong case. I did not see a good fish show until August 31st, 2012. I saw a lot of shows that are in the like two and three and a half range and somehow I kept going. I don't know what it was. I was chasing this like light out in the distance. Oh yeah, because you started in '04, was it or '03? You saw them in '03. 03. Okay, so there was a chance I, there. You had a shot. I had some good um, shows. Two twenty oh three, I thought was a very good show. My first show. Yeah, no, that's good. That's good stuff. Yeah, uh, summer '03 had some stuff. '04, not as much. Um, and then you know, three There's a case to be made for three other than the loaded emotional factor of a lot of the first couple of years. Um, and then occasional highlights here and there being just kind of just, you know, average good. As opposed and to I saw really a lot great. of those. I saw yeah, a lot what? of those. So, so did stuff. we all. So did we all. It was, it was until I, I had to pass that threshold of seeing the fuck your face show. And suddenly it was this, every maybe other maybe. show I saw seemed to be great. Maybe it was all them. Who knows? But um, we're not here to talk about my stats or my drive to see good fish, even in the face of reality that was 2.0 and early 3.0. Yeah, we are here, here today. To talk about my stats. We're here to talk about your stats. We're here because an excellent, excellent user named Wicked Monkey One shout out replied to our call our beckon call to the fan base last week when we said hey there's no fish show on a sunday we're not going to do a recap but we're going to do a show you tell us what you want us to talk about we got some fantastic suggestions yeah i wanted to say that like the fact that we didn't choose your suggestion doesn't mean it was terrible doesn't exactly but doesn't mean that it was kevin hogan we actually thought about doing yours, Kevin Hogan. We really did. Kicked um, it around. <laughs> we had suggestions for 721.97, 314.93, the idea of passing torches, Evil Fish, the Santana Tour, which we kind of talked about last week with Alex May. We also had suggestions for 710.2016, really 
kind of fascinating and interesting show to close out the first leg of the 2016 tour. History Mike song, the song Lotus, Segway Fest from 1993, as well as the evolution of how the band is discussed from pre-internet to today's social media and podcast world, something which we dedicated an episode of uh, Undermine to. We ultimately decided. Can I, can I tell him? Yeah, you can tell him. Okay, we're going to talk about this record. <laughs> it's called Beans. No, Ba-na-na-na-na-na-na-na. just kidding. We're, we're not actually going to talk about that record. I don't know that it sounds like that because I, I haven't listened to it yet. I bought this on Saturday. It's a kind of a local to my area country group that I bought it because it's local. And um, I have no idea what it sounds like because I've been too busy listening to the Lemon Wheel, which is our actual <laughs> topic for today. Um, I'm going to put that on as soon as we're done. And I, I'm curious to hear how it sounds. Um, but one of the guitar players played with Roy Buchanan. So, oh, nice. Right on. Yeah. We decided to go with the Lemon Wheel, as you just said. And it's funny when I think back now on our text exchange from yesterday when we, we were planning on what are we going to announce to the fans during our banger recap. Um, our initial agreement was that we would do the Segway Fest of 1993. And then we started looking yeah. through it and we were kind of like, you know, the Segway Fest is more of a 94 thing. There's some good ones, but they we've talked about, we talked 5893 back in May. And I'm sure we'll talk Roxy at some point. Um, I mean, we, we should. We're going to do it's great. We should. It's awesome. 30th anniversary but next year. I think we both agreed, though. Like, we're, I'm not sure you and I are on board for the thesis that the 93 mm. Segway Fests, I, I just don't think there are as many as people think. There's like little little things where they do a song and bounce in and out of a couple little things, but only a couple of them really go like set long. And That, and also you know? it, it feels to me like an exercise that they would the 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 natural ending point of the 93 Segway Fest was the Bomb Factory Tweezer in my mind and that taught them that we don't need the songs anymore like we just we can right. do this if we take a song like Tweezer and we just jam it out and granted there were some Segway Fest throughout the remainder of the summer tour but as they moved into the fall and they still happen that chunk of time became a 38 minute long jam there is there is one point that I was going to make that I think is a, a very interesting and good point that has been made on this podcast before. So I will credit Matt Dwyer for his and on his first appearance on HF Pod in the wow. in the way way back times. Uh, we were talking about Tweezer. It was all it was a Tweezer episode. It's actually a two part Tweezer episode, and he talks about Such that time episode. period. It is uh, the ninety three time frame was that jamming for fish and basically if they came across a song as they jammed they played the song couldn't leave a tease alone and only as they developed as a jamming on stage group did they learn to leave the tease alone and continue pushing towards original new sounds, new music, which we started to hear more and more and more, as you say, in 94 and then 95 to the, you know, RJ's great disgust and then, <laughs> and then so forth. And now in 1998, we have the lemon wheel. Say hi, you have the lemon wheel. Right you did a great job. Savage, 
1005 also did that by saying we got a very large bomb into the show brought it right up front at the wheel that is that is one of those things you can only do at a festival you know you just get past the you get in you pass the security guards who are kind of just there to be like you you're okay cool go 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 they're not holding you up like you're every walking like into those fifth one rounds. is actually looking at stuff at those things right. you know it's like and you get that in and you run all the way up to the stage what a what a move um so yes we were going to do and, and the point i was i was going to make sorry no you're okay is we were going to do the 93 Segway Fest, which would have been totally manageable, even though neither one of us were totally on board with the topic. Um, it would have required us to listen to two sets of music and form some comparisons to... Yeah, maybe four. Some comparisons to later Day Fish. And instead we decided, you know what? We both love the London Wheel and it seems to be overlooked. Why don't each of us starting yesterday afternoon, listen to about 13 and a half hours worth of music to ensure that we're fully prepared for this episode. So we did. <laughs> You're welcome. I just finished. <laughs> I just finished. <laughs> I was I like yesterday. <laughs> pausing during meetings today, putting it back on. And I cleaned out my garage yesterday, which was a great activity to listen oh, to. Nice. Day one of the Lemon Wheel, including the ambient jam, including the sound check from the day before, which we will talk about. And then today I listened all the way through to 816. So we have a lot of thoughts. We have a lot to get to. Before we get to it, we have three very, 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 very important pieces of business. The first of which is... We here at Osiris are powered by a few things. Music, of course but also coffee. And we're always drinking Passion House coffee. And we now we have our very own blend, Ocean of Osiris, which I have to tell you, I have right here. Look at that. Look at that. Mine just arrived today, and I haven't even opened the bag yet. I'm going to make some of this this weekend. Visit, please, passionhousecoffee.com to get some of this and their other coffee today. I've been a Passion House drinker for a while. This is not by any stretch my first bag of Passion House. So good. Use code OSIRIS for free shipping on every order. And also, we have a contest that is running all summer long. For each fish show, we'll be giving away bags of Osiris, Ocean of Osiris coffee every time fish plays an ocean song. Uh, every time you hear an ocean song, whatever you think may be an ocean song, uh, tag at Osiris Pod on Twitter, tag at Passion House Coffee, and use the hashtag Ocean of Osiris, and we will select two rin- winners at random each night if they play an ocean song. If we decide that you've picked a proper ocean song, I think we'll be kind of liberal about it, but I'm not in the deciding mm-hmm team i will tell you but check it out just make sure you tag uh osiris pod passion house coffee uh hashtag ocean of osiris two winners uh every show and we'll announce the winners on the hf pod that follows the next day uh i think that's the the plan how it's been going we didn't have a show last night so no winners today but next time soon there could be winners on wednesday they got a show at the man and i'll tell you what if you're at the show you can still play along this is not confined to those of us on the couch. Although you got to use your phone during the show and, uh, you know. It's never fun. But if you're into it, fun. free coffee. Free coffee. 
great, great company. Great, great stuff that they do. Um, I also want to tell you guys about, we've been talking about this for weeks now, but the day is finally here. RJ is standing backstage right now prepping for Osiris Live at the Ardmore Music Hall. We want to thank Tonewood Brewing and the Ardmore Music Hall for sponsoring this overall event. It begins tonight at 7 p.m. You can still down head there. down to the Ardmore Music Hall. If you're in Philadelphia, you can still head down there to buy tickets. And you don't want to miss it. Why don't you want to miss it? Well, this event will be a combination of live music, conversation. And what I'm about to say, I do not mean to underscore because I mean it in all caps. Lots of jamming. We'll focus on amazing guitarists. Musical guests include Tom Hamilton, Chris Forsyth, and Daniel Donato, with a backing band featuring Andy Cush of Garcia Peoples, Ryan Jewell, and Ron Stabinski of the Meat Puppets. Each musical guest will talk with RJ and then play a couple songs with the backing band. The night will conclude with a super jam featuring all of the musicians. Once again, we want to thank Tomewood Brewing and the Ardmore Music Hall. Visit OsirisPod.com slash OsirisLive. You can still buy tickets there, or you can head down to the Ardmore Music Hall to buy your tickets as well. Amazing event. We got more on tap here this summer, but this is the one that kicks it all off. Very, very excited for this. Jonathan. Before we yeah, jump into in, the show, can you tell I, well, us? I just want to well, say, go ahead. About, about that, if you're in Philly, I don't know why you wouldn't be there tonight because great music. Yes, I know you got two fish shows the next couple nights. You can do it. You're all grown up. You know how to sleep. Get down there. Um, I've seen all of these music, musicians play, except I've never seen Daniel Donato in person, but I did watch his Peach, Peach Fest set, and it was outstanding. Great. The guy can play. He was great. The guy can really yeah. play. He's really good. So, um, yeah, you should you should be there. You should be there. And we have one was. more. I do, too. One more sponsor that we need to tell you about. Sunset Lakes... Yeah, I see. I, I I blew it. I wasn't ready. I wasn't interrupting you with something, so I couldn't speak, you know, <laughs> fluidly. Um, Sunset Lake CBD. That's who we're here to tell you about. Sunset Lake CBD's line of smokable hemp products for the old deadhead or young fish fan searching for the mellow body high. Smoking CBD has all the benefits of high THC cannabis without that paranoid and anxious side effects. Uh, they have nine different strains from this year's harvest, and there is something for everyone. Hawaiian Haze is awesome for an outdoor show. The Cherry Abacus is best for the end of the night. All of the flour is grown, cured, and trimmed by Sunset Lake CBD farmers. And even better, Sunset Lake CBD's farm-to-table approach gets you great pricing on premium CBD flour by shipping directly from their farm to your door. Uh, look, man, I, I'm going to keep this simple so we can get down to the meat of the show, but I, I dig it. I, I like the smoke. I can't be getting high all the time. I'm a family man. No I'm way. a working man. I got all this stuff, but exactly. it, it it really like sets me at ease and it tastes great and it's awesome. So I, I highly recommend it. You can check them out today at www.sunsetlakecbd.com. Use coupon code HFPOD for 20% off all products. That's Sunset Lake CBD, farmer grown, farmer owned, Vermont grown. I'm guessing the farmers grow, grow it too. It's not really yeah. in the tag, but it, yeah, they, really. they do grow it. That's how it happens. Sunset Lake, man, we love it. We love all you, all you guys, and uh, we encourage everyone out there <laughs> to check it out. All right, 
business time. Cue Brian Eno ambient wash of sound. <laughs> we have reached the end of the summer 1998 tour. The band has played an excellent show in Vernon Downs, New York. The only time that they would ever play there. Vernon down the house. Show. You can't bring up that show. Just let me tell you why you can't bring up that show. No, no, you tell can't. me. Because I skipped it and went to the Lemon Wheel. So I'm sitting at the Lemon Wheel the day after that show, and my friends roll in, having gone the long way around and taped that show, and they show up at this one at the in the at the lot, and they're like, "Man, it was amazing." Well, God damn it, I don't want to hear that. I want to hear that I made the right choice. So we pretend that show didn't happen, even though it's I understand great. that. It's got a great ramble on into Slate of the Traffic Light, one of my favorite fish jams of the summer. Um, but we won't talk about that show anymore. Um, that show happens on August 12th. The band then moves to Loring Air Force Base for the second of three festivals in Limestone, Maine. The first happened the year prior. The Great Went. Um Savage 1005 did Deer Creek to the wheel. That is an awesome yeah. run. You got to see Rhinoceros. You got to see an amazing ghost. You got to see an amazing Haley's incredible gumbo. Terrapin station. I mean, come on. Terrapin All station. All that stuff's good. But Merriweather. I did say, I will say I did go to Merriweather. That's a great show. Beach. That was the first summer 98 show I ever heard. That was very. Hey, me too. It was just available constantly during uh, that that period and when I first was getting a fish in 01. Um, that huge, massive runaway gym, we could go on. There's so much in this yeah, tour. Yeah. I love this Great tour. Stuff. This tour has my favorite tone that I've ever heard Trey play in. That's so Talk clear. Talk about that at length next summer on HFBot on tour. So we can look back at the 25th anniversary. But the band appears here, though. They play the Great Went in Limestone. It, it seems to me, we talked about Sugarbush a couple weeks ago. It seems to me that somewhere in the mid-1990s, Fish decided that the best way to create the vibe that they were looking for from a concert standpoint was to recreate what they had at Ian's Farm, at Amy's Farm, uh, Pete's Fabulous Fish Festival in the late 80s and early 90s. Sugarbush was first that. And then they kind of very quickly outgrew Sugarbush. They go to Plattsburgh for the Clifford Ball outside of... Plattsburgh, New York. And then they realize, you know, this is pretty far out there across the lake. This is pretty far out there. Like if anyone's been to upstate New York, like really upstate New York, I'm not talking like just outside of New York, New York, you know, New York city. Like it's, it's it's rural, but they realize this is not as far away as we need to be. And so they go almost to the border with Canada, like as far away from Portland as I think New York City is from Portland. It's 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 a far, far away away from commerce. Have you been there? I have not, unfortunately. Uh, so so every time Fish played there, I went. And I, I I live in Virginia, the northern portion of Virginia, though I try not to claim northern Virginia. Um and I my preferred method of getting there would be to leave at night and leave at eight PM. We rush hour traffic's done. We get through all the major cities before, you know, without traffic. We arrive at 
the state line of, of Maine, sunrise. Then you drive all damn day, <laughs> and it's well in the afternoon when you arrive in the vicinity of Limestone, give or take traffic when you get up there. All day. That state is, I, I, somebody was just on the other day with us, that state is way bigger than you think. Yeah, it is. Um, and you drive the length of it to get up there. But it's amazing. It's a beautiful state, super green. They have, you know, everybody pretends they have moose. Um, and you get just, you get all the way, you take the last exit before you get into Canada and just drive straight up Route 1. And, uh, and you're up there. You're in the, you've got some elevation, East Coast elevation. Let's recognize that. But still, you got sure. some elevation. It's high country. They grow potatoes up there. And not much going on up there. It's great. And uh, and yeah, they had this old SAC Air Base guy I know used to uh, work there. He worked there. He was in the military, mm. and he was a uh, an MP at the time when they had a major UFO sighting uh, that you could read about on the internet, and you should. Um, and uh, yeah, they thought the uh, UFOs were attracted to the nuclear weapons that they had up there wow. at the time. Yeah, wow. it's crazy. Um, yeah, yeah, that guy is weird. Um, but he's not the only one to talk about that UFO sighting. And it is just, a, it's an old Air Force base. Seems like it'd be mundane, but worked beautifully. You camped mm. in between the runways, mm. parked on the runways, and at the end of the runways for the Went and Lemming Wheel, big grass, sort of a bowlish amphitheater setup, and at the bottom, stage, concert. They had the radio station going. Everywhere you walked in the parking lot of the Lemon Wheel, when there wasn't fish on, you could either hear fish radio or somebody was playing that damn Terrapin station again. <laughs> <laughs> I heard that all weekend long, over and over and over again. It was great. Yeah, I mean, we're talking like not even 10 days since that happened. It had to still it just be like kind of so, so massive. Yeah, a little bit of a big deal. Tell me... Um, before we get into the shows here, and we have a lot of stuff to get into, but like I want to hear what are some of your favorite memories of going up there? I mean, you've talked about like the remote aspect of it, like how beautiful the area is, but like waking up the morning of the first show of a festival in Limestone, what is that like from a fan perspective? I mean, you're completely separated from everything. I mean, this is mm -hmm. like cell phones existed, but I didn't have one then. Yeah. Uh, so, of course, you're cut off. Um, it's rural camping. This is not like these days at a festival where, you know, unless you drove your RV, you don't have you have nothing. You, and if you did drive an RV, you don't get hookups. It's none of that. Um, you know, a lot of my friends had microbuses. I had a tent. I think we had a minivan that we drove up in for this one, but it, we drove up with it full of people. So I pitched, had a tent, slept in my tent, and uh, grasshoppers on the grass and people everywhere. And it's, I, I, it was great. You know, it's just, it's a little city. It's the biggest city in the state at the time. And, at that uh, time, yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it's, I want to go back. Can you tell? Can you tell uh, that I want to go? I want to go. Really it, is, it is my dream to get to go to a fish show there. Um, I was not into fish in the late 90s, so I, I, there was no way I was going. 
uh, Bittersweet Motel, the documentary, was one of my first introductions to the band and to the scene. And of course, there's a ton of Went content. And I was like, oh my God, this is the most incredible thing I've ever seen. Like, how, how do I get to this? Well, the band's not playing right now. Okay. And then they announce details. Uh, then they announced the It Festival. I was 18 in Chicago, about to go off to college a month later. It just wasn't in the cards for me to drive up to the northern part of Maine. But uh, it is something we will talk about at some point because uh, I, I oh, love, love, too. love it. And uh, I think the way that they go back to this sacred ground and play an incredible festival there is amazing. But um, before we jump into it, I have one more question for you. We, you and I have talked about this, but I think this is a good way to start this conversation. We both consider this to be an overlooked festival. If, if you take the entirety of all fish festivals that have happened, this one feels very overlooked in a lot of cases. What is your thought on why this festival is overlooked? It's like the middle child. So, um, Obviously, you know, Clifford Ball is the, the first, right, of the this kind of festival. Uh, but the Great Went is also a first. It's the first here at this location. It's a, a step bigger. And then this one is the kind of like, they did Great Went again in many respects, logistical respects, at least. Musically, it's quite different, um, even though they repeat songs or whatever, but so be it. Um, and experience wise it was f similar in many respects but that's a pretty high bar to meet twice in a row and i feel like they did mm. um and so I, and then you know the next year they did they did us we go which at the time everybody talks about it as a fest now but at the time they were like we're not really doing a summer festival we'll do this camp out here though okay well, everybody calls it a festival now. Fine. <laughs> and because they were doing Big Cypress, which was the festival for 1999. Yeah. Um, and obviously overshadows As we everything. Towers yeah. above, if you will. It, it was the comeback. So it is not overlooked all that much. I think Festival 8 is um, often overlooked, uh, yeah. mildly forgotten. Um, I think that if they were to get their shit together and re-release the 3d movie maybe just make it 2d that would be fine um but release the footage that really came out of the time when like 3d was everything and i don't feel uh, like that's much yeah. i don't want yeah. 3d i went to and yeah. saw it in the theater it was cool yeah. for what it was put it out in 2d let me let me see it again i think that would probably raise the stock of that festival um yeah so yeah, that's kind of my rough festival recap. And then you have the the Magna and the Supers and, you know, the the Curves. And um, and now it feels like they put a lot of the festival energy into Dick's. I mean, they're, hell, they're doing four nights this year. Right. They're going to be putting some dead people onto airplanes Monday morning. <laughs> uh, I'll be one of them. I mean, I've, you will. You will. You're going to be coming out to Dick's for the first time. I can't wait. Um, yeah. Yeah, I agree with everything you said. I think the only thing I would add is, you know, 1998 often feels overshadowed compared to 1997 in a lot of cases. Um, and 99, you know, you have, but for and 99. reasons. Yeah, you have, you know, the similarities of 
the style of music they're playing in this very groove oriented funk forward type of fashion. Um, anything can be jammed out. Setless construction is mirrored in a lot of cases to what 1997 was where, Hey, if we're playing gumbo as the second song of the set, you're not just getting gumbo. The first set you're getting like a 13 to 17 minute long gumbo to like really get you into the groove. Um, Darn. And I think, Right. And I think post Island tour, it kind of gets overlooked in terms of the summer tours structured very similarly to, uh, the, the, um, the summer tour from 97, the fall tour, it's a little bit early, but you have similar beats in terms of the West to East movement. Summer tour also has the like, uh, jukebox tour thing going that everybody remembers that, you know, all the covers and which is wonderful and, uh, kind of amazing. But, um, yeah, I, I think I'm following you. It it is it just maybe it's the even years thing that you've heard that. That's here, also right? part of it. I think it's also like the went features this like peak of that raw cow funk that would get sleek. It would be a little bit more sleek by the time they came back in the fall. It's a little bit more uh, glossy around the edges, and that kind of glossiness moves its way into 1998 where it's a softer approach to funk. It's not so aggressive. So in your face, but like 1997, the went, the, the went sets uh, really showcases this band that like kind of knew they were onto an evolutionary like moment in their career. Step. Yeah. And, and we're forward with it. So all of this moves us to um, night one but not night one, but night one, but not night one, but night, night one, zero. because we're saying it's one night zero, <laughs> eight, 14, 1998. The band comes on stage, uh, on a Friday night, a little after 11 PM to play a sound check, which is broadcast live on the lemon wheels, official radio station, 88.9 FM, the badger. This set, we'll talk about it briefly here because we listened to it. We, we were ta- we were texting back and forth yesterday. Do we do the sound check? Do we not? Should we do the sound check? Let me so clarify you know for everybody. No, it was uh, – I started with the sound check, and I started texting you about the sound check. And you were like, oh, I started with the next day. I was like, dude, you got to listen to the sound check. Got to go back. Okay, so I went back. So I go back. This begins with just like the grooviest – funk jam which turns into the most beautiful ambient jam until the next night's ambient jam it is just stunning out the gates how locked in they are right away playing at this set. what what did you think of this set overall and kind of what were your highlights first of all i will say this is one of those things because it's the sound check i experienced it in the camping area and that wonderful thing of everybody so were you in already when this happened yeah yeah we were in almost everybody had their radios tuned to this so everywhere you went you were hearing it and then you could if you got close to the festival you know you could hear it coming over but you could it was everywhere it was kind of great um and these jams are amazing um i was telling you earlier i think that um a case could be made for a two lp set that includes the two big jams from the sound check and the ambient set as the second lp one jam on each side and the ambient set split on one lp and i I'm think there. it would be an amazing listen um the jams are both really good extensive uh but all the songs are good too it's really cool uh 
back at the chicken shack was kind of in the in the rotation uh she got the katie though coming back there just uh, come back yeah yeah and uh and then the absolute absurdity of i gave my love a cherry uh it's funny because it's not really until then that you hear a little banter about like you know turning up the this and the hearing this and the monitors it's not even it's not till the end of the sound check that they start doing sound check things but um but it's great it's abs- i mean they knew what they were doing they were it was for us and it was it was delightful this i gave my love a cherry was i, I love these jams and i'm so here for sound check jams um i was thinking about it listening to the clifford ball sound check jam a couple of weeks ago like there's a moment in that jam where you hear the band playing the type of music that they will play 12 months later in August of 1997, but you're hearing them play it without the restraints of having to play a concert. And there's that sense in soundcheck jams of the band almost playing six to 12 months ahead of where they are on stage because they don't have to play a show for anyone. And while this, this soundcheck sounds a part of 1998 to me, it also has, I gave my love a cherry, which is the the idea that you're hearing this on the radio, potentially in traffic, it's driving through so weird. backwoods, two-lane highways, or you're walking up and down this Air Force-based tarmac where there were UFO sightings half a century earlier, if not more recently, like, you know, it, and that the theremin is going. It just, I, th- I think I texted you, like, fish sometimes... They sometimes seem so advanced, but they also sometimes, and I think perhaps one of my favorite things about them is when they play old school Americana music and they showcase that it's, it's not just three chords. It's actually like some of the weirdest music that's ever been made. And when you go off the off in the outskirts of America and you think about like the late 19th century, the early 20th century, and like what was happening creatively and the music that like became jug bands and became folk music and is like passed down today. This song is right there in that sort of standpoint that fish is like uncovering for the fan base. And and then you, then you have Fishman's verse, which is a little <laughs> blue, so I won't quote it, but um, Brian remembers. Yeah. I remember. <laughs> <laughs> I love how before that verse, Trey says, fish, it's now your turn to sing. A verse because we've all sung the song and now you need to add something inappropriate. Um, <laughs> yeah, well, so he this, knows what's coming. He knows what's coming. This is like an hour and a half long set that I would just encourage. It's all soundboard quality because it's a sound check. It's all lifted from the soundboard. This to me well, is. I was going to say it's the FM. It's the FM. Sorry, you're right. Something you're right. I want to make a point about later, but uh, we'll, yes. we'll get to We'll get to that. Thank you. Thank you for that clarification. But it, it's great to me to think that like this starts around, let's call it 1115 and the band walks off stage just before one o'clock in the morning. And you're now ready like that night zero at a festival. The whole energy isn't there, but the like Christmas so, Eve type of energy the, is there. The energy's there. People yeah. are getting ready. They haven't played a really show yet, but like, you know, it's coming, you know, it's coming. So do you have anything else you want to say about the soundtrack or should we move? No, on I want 15? to get into this. I want to get on to get into the next day. Let's do this because we got a lot. We got six, seven, actually whole sets of music to dive, to diverge into. It's amazing. Um, set one 
of the festival. It's it's interesting to me just off the bat. Trey at the end of the first set of the Great Went chastises this bandmate saying like we played a bad set we've been playing so loose all summer like we're here at the festival we don't have to be all under this pressure and he he quotes in that set that they didn't have a chance to do a sound check so part of this set is a sound check there's no sound check in this first set at the lemon wheel this is a full-on set long mike's groove with jams with a few rarities um fire to spare it just it, it it's a really interesting fluid first set. What are your thoughts on it overall? I, well, first of all, it's a killer set. Um, I was at the time disappointed when they went great mics into simple. Mm. Not a fan of that at the time. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm more or less over it, but I apparently not because I keep bringing it up. Um, <laughs> no hydrogen, um, but that's okay. Uh, simple was nice. Beauty of my dreams. Nice. It's all split up in a melt was kind of intense uh poor the poor heart's fine but uh the moma dance great dance party i had a, so you were talking about you were cleaning your garage i was cooking in the kitchen all, all afternoon yesterday so i was dancing all over the kitchen during the moma dance and this divided sky is terrific um it's a jam chart version it um, is which I didn't know when I was listening to it, but I was thinking this one's so good. It really ought to be. Um, and it really just like they hit the composed bits well, but then they stretched the right other bits in a way that just, uh, I mean, I was having an ecstatic moment listening to it yesterday and I highly recommend it. If you don't have time to listen to all these sets, that's one of the highlights you really ought to go to. Uh, and it is probably my high highlight of this set, along with the cities into Weekapog and Trey pausing to shout out the Portalette Pagoda and other sites in the uh, Garden of, uh, what is it, Delights? Infinite Pleasantries. Out there. Yeah, Infinite Pleasantries, yeah. Yeah, the gem chart notes on this Divided Sky musically 1998 falls somewhere between the crisp, hard-rocking sound of the mid-'90s and the subtle, layered grooves of 1999 and 2000. This excellent version provides a glimpse of of both, and I think that's perfect. It's there's there's a motion and there's a moment you will have with this version of Divided Sky that also like I don't know what what was the weather like at this festival. I mean, is this being played? This is like mid afternoon when this set is happening. Do you do you recall? I remember the weather nice being out? good. Yeah, I remember. Um, I remember sunshine. Yeah, I remember the weather being good because uh, of actions I took later on. Uh, I probably wouldn't have had the weather not been good. So, uh, <laughs> I think conditions were what we like to say ideal. Understood, understood. And yeah, the cities, it gets into such a groove, and it's not, it's not as aggressive or as long as the seven thirty one ninety eight version was from Columbus, but it's definitely worth your time, your ears, when Trey says we're gonna stop the music. And see if we can make the people at the top of the Ferris wheel sick. That, that <laughs> prankster side. But like also the arrogance of knowing how how like how good you're playing right now in like such a groove-oriented standpoint, where they can basically just be like on a dime, boom, and all you hear is sirens. 
And it's just like you feel uneven at that moment immediately. And then they come back in the groove and go into Weekapog, which has this like build up, this double time build up towards the end. It's it's amazing. I think like, you know, this first set, I was reading some reviews about it on Fishnet this morning. You know, I, I, I don't think it's like the greatest set list on paper, but I also think it works really well in the sense of like a Mike's groove is a great, great way to, to, to structure an entire show. And all of these songs kind of fit that, you know, I think about the first set from 822.15 at Magnaball, where it just fits that set. It fits the vibe. You're outside. It's sunny. I remember having a couple really nice beers with me. And you're just hanging out, listening to some fish. Like it is just, it's, it's a perfect way to hang out outside, listening to this stuff. Look, it was a dancey set. Again, everybody was getting settled. This is the first, first set. So everybody's finding their spots. Um, many of which we'll come back to at the same spot for the rest of the, the thing. Um, and there's a ton, ton more music ahead. So, uh, if they're going to play poor heart and beauty in my dreams, well, it's 1998, you know, they're going to do that. They're going to play water in the sky and, and they're all going to be good. So I don't know. I guess, I guess people can complain. They will about everything. Um, I think it's pretty solid opening set. Well, let's jump into the second set. So sets two and three are at night. <laughs> we get the evening set and then the, the nighttime set before we get to set four. Um, I feel like. Set two started around the time that a set one would start at a normal show. So it wasn't dark yet. Um, I don't have a whole lot of like that kind of visual memory of this stuff uh, because of reasons. But I do remember the before this set. And then that's uh, how I remember the only festivals I've been to were Coventry and, um, uh, Magnaball and my memory of the three (laughs) Magnaball was great. My, my memory of the three, the three set shows, cause they have one set, one three set show now at festivals. Uh, Coventry had two, three set shows was that similar to what you're saying that it was still light out, but like the sun had gone down, but there was enough light coming off the horizon that like for the first three songs of the second set, things were getting darker. Well, remember also though we are way north, so the sun stays up later. Um, anyways, so so they come out and basically throw down. Yeah, I'm with you, Ben. He misses festivals, so do I. I miss them. Um, Wedge, great, good Reba, limestone, but yeah, to me, it's the scumbo. You talked about it earlier, right? The scumbo is. uh, great jam, tweezerish, tweezer reprise-ish jam in this gumbo. Like they really, they're throwing down and then you can hear it. And we knew what it, we knew that it was a bust out when it happened. We hear them grind into sanity and yes, this is, you know, First we were Halloween 96. dancing my face off up into that sanity. We celebrated and then, then the tweezer happens and it's a great tweezer. It's a, not a 30 minute banger or anything like that. It's not the kind of thing I was looking for three years earlier, but I really like this tweezer. 
And uh, I remember at the time, I really liked this tweezer um, and needed the horse silent by the time we got him. I was ready for it. Needed it. Um, Yeah. This set flows in a really interesting manner to me. We'll talk about this when we get to the next day. Like, I feel like these two second sets, they, they're, they feel so extended. Like there's a lot of music packed in here. I kind of feel like each of these second sets is longer than a normal second set would be. And they're kind of taking advantage of the fact that there's almost no curfew and there's, uh, there's, there's the ability to kind of stretch their legs. Cause you get like a 16 minute Reba, 13 minute gumbo, a 16 minute tweezer. And then you get slave to the traffic light, which I think is around 12 minutes towards the end. Yeah. This set um, is 85 minutes, 85 minutes. Okay. So it's, it's, it's but like a first set length for a second. The set. next set, the next day set two is, uh, 102 minutes. Wow. Okay. That tells us something. So that one runs um, a little long. It's great. That one runs long. I, I kind of felt like when they started Chalk Dust, I was like, okay, this is probably the end of the set. And I hadn't really gone back. I wasn't looking at the set list as I was listening to this. The so Slave good. to the Traffic Light to end this out is just gorgeous. It kind of it reminds me of The Divided Sky, where the band is still at a point at, at this point in time where songs like Divided Sky and Slave to the Traffic Light have not, you know, they've they've gotten eclipsed in a sense by their newer material that's standout material. You're down with diseases, you know, tweezer is not new at this point in time, but it's newer than these old classics. But like they're putting a lot of emotion into songs like Divided Sky and Slave to the Traffic Light. Um almost as I mean I think that this is a pretty natural thing for them at this point in time where they could just play these songs out with so much emotion. But it reminds me of like 1994 Fish, where when you saw a 94 Fish show those shows were defined by how great the classics were. Whereas now you could hear a okay slave, but the goal is to hear like a 20 minute no man in no man's land. Like that's the thing that people are going to take away from the show and to hear them in a festival really blow these out songs. Close a set with slave. It's the thing. It was, it, 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 it reaches into you and, uh, Plus, a lot of people had spent a little time in traffic the previous day, so it's very uh, fitting. They were probably kind of thinking about that and glad that right. they were no longer in traffic. <laughs> um, this, this show I'm just looking at has a nine point six show gap uh, on it, which is really only because of the sanity, which is a hundred and forty show oh, yeah. gap between performances you're not hearing a ton of rarities like fish was in kind of a pretty tight rotation in summer 98 and it almost doesn't matter because all these songs, everything's good. Everything's good. (laughs) They know what they're playing. Well, um, anything else you want to say about set two or should we jump into the third? Let's do it. Jump in. So the third set, it opens, this is a very interesting set to me. And and, and I think that this kind of defines in some cases why this festival may be overlooked this feels like a very subtle third set whereas the year earlier the Haley's comet the cities the llama it was all just like so in your face this is nicu david bowie which we're going to put a pin in because we're going to talk at length about this david bowie strange design limb by limb brian and robert loving cup it's very mellow 
very low key. It's very much of like, to me, the band preparing themselves for the fourth set and kind of getting themselves in a mindset of, okay, how do we take quiet songs and really make them stick? And so you get this run of Strange Design, Limb by Limb, Brian and Robert, that's very, very quiet, very subdued, which I'm sure led to some complaints from the fan base. I'm sure. Fuck them. I didn't hear about it. Uh, and I still won't. <laughs> I won't listen. Keep it to yourself. Um, yeah. So again, saving David Bowie, um, you're not wrong. I think strange design comes beautifully after the, after Bowie finishes. Completely agree. Great placement. Uh, limb by limb, you think on paper that we're getting a real rev up, but this limb by limb actually doesn't have that kind of nature to it. Um, you know, it's got the usual kind of limb by limb in the stru- in the main structure, but then it, uh, you know, it, it's got some chill. It's got that, as you were saying, it's got that ambient charge to it. Um, and, you know, then it goes into Brian Robert, which is, <laughs> that's what, literally about ambient music. And then uh, yeah. a little rock and roll to wrap it up, Love and Cup. Um and then they come back pretty hard for the encore. And I will point out to anybody who is checking out the show on like re-listen, make sure you sequence this stuff right. The encore happened, then the fourth set. Re-listen doesn't lay it out that way because it's just a dumb computer. So they have programmed that the encore that. comes after the set set four, yeah. yeah. Um which changes the dynamics of how you listen to the show. Yeah, yeah. Don't listen to it. <laughs> um this is one of my – this Limb by Limb was quite a surprise to me because I don't know the last time I listened to this specific version. I'm a it's cool, right? fiend for Limb by Limbs. And yeah, it's – like you said, it doesn't peak. It kind of goes off course in a way that you're not expecting without going like in this full new jamming territory. And when it fades into Brian and Robert, it really sounds a lot like those Europe 98 versions where Trey gets the feedback going on his guitar and out of that feedback page starts on the roads. That sound to me, like that is them nailing Brian Eno and Robert Fripp, the goal of what they're going for with that song. And um, it's actually the first fish song I ever heard. Brian and Robert. This explains a lot. <laughs> I, I was, I was a, I was huge into music. I was listening to the Dave Matthews band a lot. And my mom for Love it I think my birthday. Say, I was huge in the music. I listened to Dave Matthews Band a lot. That's, well, that's just a part of it. But like, like my, a my point in that trope right there. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Please my point in getting that way is my mom for my birthday in 2001 bought me Bittersweet Motel, and she was like, "I don't know if you know this band, but I think you would like it." And I thank her always for completely changing the trajectory of my entire life because I put it in, and that opening segment of them playing brian and robert and like these normal dudes on a bus hanging out in europe i was like this is my band like that's it why why do why is this the first band i've been turned on to that just looks like that and acts like that so anyway david bowie david bowie which we're gonna say first and foremost before we get to david bowie we know a couple of you guys at fish.net okay you know us we're good people you're good people we understand that mistakes are this David Bowie <laughs> should be a jam chart. I'm happy to write it. I it just it should be a jam chart. Yes. I mean I, I texted Brian. I was like, Did you know this is not in the jam chart? It's um 
24 minutes long, as any rational person would track it, 24 or so minutes long. Eight minutes is the intro. I'm sorry. Like, you can't just call that standard if the intro is eight minutes long. <laughs> and it is ambient space. The rest of the Bowie is fairly type one. Great. I, I really like it. Um, it's got what they, they label submission impossible theme teases. Cool. That's old school. It's like 94. Yeah. But the intro is the story here. Um, and it's freaking beautiful, actually. <laughs> it's really, and it is a distinct tease of what we were, you know, would get later on that night. Uh, I don't remember it from the night, but I, I've listened to it many times and it's good. It needs to be on the list. I was listening to it yesterday and I think the thing I love about it is the intro like we were talking about with the limb by limb, Brian and Robert, the intro feels like a deliberate, how do we keep this audience captivated while playing deliberately quiet, quiet music. But then when you get into the actual song portion and the intro, I find just fascinating, but when you get to the actual song portion, you're suddenly in a place where they're just in no rush to get to the peak. And so while it doesn't do what a lot of Bowie's did in 95 and in 97, where it goes completely off track and we're nowhere near home and somehow they figure out a way back to pop, you know, it doesn't do that at all. No, it stays within the Bowie. Like it's like purple lights and just this like purple mood of like the band at night, just jamming and, I kind of like that a lot. I feel like I, I don't need them to go off course. I think that the intro blows out the idea of what a Bowie intro could be. And then the song itself shows you what a slow, low key version of David Bowie could be. It's amazing stuff. I'm, I'm super into it. Highly recommend people check it out. Um, Encore, we get a really good Haley's. We get Cavern and we get a Rock and Tweezer reprise. And at the end of Tweezer reprise, Trey talks to the crowd about he gets all soft and all emotional says, look, we create something really special. You and us, you may not think it, but you're as huge a part of it as we are. You know, we tried to do this last year. It worked out. It was really cool. We made this big painting together. We burnt it all down. It was awesome. This year you made us candles and we were going to play music for you in the style of Brian Eno, which we've been trying to do for months now, which we've been working at. There's so many great segments of music that are in the Eno style throughout summer tour. Did you, what did you do following the encore? Do you remember what you did following the encore before this set? I don't remember what I did in the gap, uh, but I know that we were at our spot or a spot for set four when it began. So I think we may have just hung out, wandered a little bit, but you know, in, in little individual missions, but we didn't leave the festival ground area. And uh, so when the ambient jam started, we stood there a little bit and then we sat down and then we laid down, did not sleep. About halfway through though, we got up and we, we wandered out listening Um you could hear it quite well. And then again, we had that experience where you could hear everywhere you went. So we walk out, 
you know, the delay towers are behind us, feeding it to us, and then you come upon a radio here and a radio there. And uh, somebody asked, was Slim a part of this story? Yeah, my, my dude Slim was there. Um, and my buddy Madi was there, Barnsey. Yeah, we had a whole crew. It was great. It was great. Um, and uh, and we were, you know, it was like walking on another planet, you know, a little space adventure, just kind of bounding along, hearing this kind of subtle, beautiful music everywhere you went. And then, then oops, you might bump into the disco bus. That's different. Let's go over here. Come back to that. Okay, we're here in the fish again. It was great, man. It was it I listened to this again today and it is uh it is not party music. No. But it's it's beautiful. It's outstanding. Yeah, this is one of my favorite pieces of music the band has ever played regardless year era. Uh it's right in line with what I love to listen to. In my spare time, I listen to a ton of ambient music. Brian Eno's there for me with Fish, with Garcia, with Dylan, with Neil Young. It's like my favorite artist of all time. Um, to me, the ambition of playing this and coming out and telling your fan base, you know, you think about the storage jam, you think about the tower jam, you think about the um, uh, the drive-in jam. They didn't come out and say, we're going to do this. They were very deliberate of this is what we're attempting to do. And we want you to know this. And this is what this is going to sound like, at least as we conceive of it right now. With those other jams, they were just kind of like, hey, we're going to pop up out of nowhere and play a surprise late night set. And it's going to get really dark and really weird and really chaotic because that's kind of what happens when we don't have like a home base that we need to get to musically. We can just go out and explore this to remain in the ambient style and to dedicate themselves to that feels really risky because not all fish jams stay in an ambient space. Not all fish jams stay in one musical space. And I think what's really remarkable about this set is they don't stay in like this very specific ambient zone and just let it slowly build like a William Bazinski type of session. It works like, uh, a lot of Brian Eno from the 1970s where you have these passages of really beautiful silence and then a moment of inspiration that slowly percolates and changes it. And by the time you get to the end of whatever they've changed, they may have gotten into some heavier territory, but they're back in this kind of beautiful, blissful space. And so it sounds like fish, but it also sounds like fish emulating other music, which turns it into this stew that I just, there's I can't a, get enough of. There's a pa- passage in here that reminds me a little bit of like, like the, uh, the end groove on free, mm, mm. but take all of the like punctuation out of it. You know, it just kind of rolls in that little boom, boom kind of moment that you hear at the end of free without any of the hits if you yeah. will, any of the real percussive tone. Um, yeah, no, I, it, I think you describe it well. And I will say, I like the idea that they did this so much more than the disco tent from the year before. Um, primarily because the disco tent is... It's exclusionary, frankly. Mm. Like, if you didn't know, you didn't know. If you weren't right. in there, you weren't in there. 
Um, Tower Jam worked because you could see it and hear it from everywhere if you were awake. Um, and if you weren't awake, I mean, come on, guys, you could see that they were doing something on the tower. You know, here, they announce it from the stage, they play it. Flatbed Jam, I think, is a gorgeous idea. It will never, should never be matched or attempted. You know, I, I think that was outstanding. They took the, took the show to you. Um, again, if you slept and missed it, I'm sorry. Uh, but, but here, yeah, they organized it. They planned it. They did it on the stage. And it was, um, it's cool. It's fucking really cool. One thing that Fish has done in recent years that I really appreciate is the dinner movie sets when they've played their festival sets. They've done the same vibe with the late night <laughs> yeah. sets where back, I think it was like the fifth dinner movie. We're talking spring 2020. The only thing keeping me sane and happy was Tuesday night dinner movies because it was the one routine that we had during that period. And they played Magna Ball Day 2. It was just incredible to hear those three sets of music and watch it all again. That was one of my favorite days I've ever lived. And I remember the set ending and people on Twitter were now talking like 12 o'clock, 1230 on the East coast, whenever that ended being like, are they going to do the drive-in jam? And you know, you got the late night crew and then suddenly mm -hmm. someone sends out the link of, Oh my God, they're doing it on YouTube. And I remember going over to it and being able to enjoy that. And they did the same thing with the flatbed jam after they played night one of um, yep. the Clifford Ball. And this is really something I'd love to, to experience if they ever want to uh, consider releasing this. Um, yeah. Yeah. Maybe, I think that uh, this is next year for the 25th anniversary after they released went the, this the year? Great Went this year for Let the 25th anniversary. Year. Ready to pre order right now. I got. I got to uh, right now. Just take my money, guys. I gotta. I gotta just highlight this. The incredible perp, great friend of the pod. I missed the disco yeah. set, but I got up and got naked in the morning. That's a. That's ah, a yes, move. for the photo. Yes, there for the so photo. Many naked people that morning. <laughs> um, <laughs> something. Should we move on to the final day of Lemon yes, Wheel? Let's do it. Let's do it. An hour into this podcast, we were going to somehow tackle that's the fun. final three set show. We're just going to do it. We're we're jamming up here, man. I'm here for so, it. So everybody goes to bed probably at a fairly reasonable hour, I'm guessing, because like they're not leaving mean, until one o'clock in the morning. A lot of people went to bed. Yeah. Was was the concert ground pretty spare, like sparse when, when they or like was the fact that they announced that they were coming back on stage? People were there. Uh, helped yeah, to keep no. people there. It was probably a little Yeah, surely there were people who weren't in. But the fact that you could hear it at the car Helps, helped out. that sort of thing you know um but that just means you were able to kind of live your festival life you didn't have to you know you did you weren't chained to the schedule you could hear it you could run in you run back you know get some food between sets and then run back in and you know and it wasn't you know your time wasn't critical and i I, I got to say, when we were heading up to um, Curveball before it was canceled, you know, we were so thrilled to get the news they were going to put the thing on terrestrial radio and not rely exclusively on space radio for the festival sets. Because, you know, radio, real radio, has the quality of being Someone able else. to be picked up by a $10 battery powered something or other. You know, every car can get it. Like, don't, don't make me go satellite for this kind of stuff. It changes sure. the environment. I agree. It's an important factor. Sorry. 
get no, no, I get it. No, get I get what this. you're saying. There's something about about radio that is so fascinating in that standpoint, and and fish hits it in these festivals. Um, so they come out for the second night, and I love how we open with Ginseng Sullivan, which feels to me like a callback to the second day of the Clifford Ball when they open the old home place, like a little bit of bluegrass to get you going on a Sunday morning. Um, to me, this first set, you know. It, it reminds me a lot of the first set from the previous show. I think the only difference is you don't have Mike's and Weekapog on either end of it. Um, but it's kind of just like, it's a hodgepodge of songs. It works really well in the daytime. The segment that really got me, I love, of course, the bathtub gin and the rift. It's a very, very seamless segue. Um, great but the it's great transition. But the Yamar in the ACDC bag into Frankie says, that's it for me. What about you? Well, I mean, I could have told everybody that that's that was it for you i mean i could have predicted that. <laughs> um yeah i i love ginseng sullivan i love the blue fish bluegrass i thought i think that's a great opener the gin's really good it's not the gin they played the year before it doesn't have to be because they did it the year before right. uh the transition to rift is really great um strong punch you in the eye little feature bit for you know with Lomboy get fishes uh get pages feature rather yamar you get a little mike featured in both of those really um acdc bag gets the brock frankie says calls back to again that ambient sound that we are living for here at the end of summer 98 uh birds of a feather is a straight up ripper this it birds is. of a feather is outstanding and I think it is my highlight. Might be, might be. I don't know. I I, I like the set. It's a good set. That birds of a feather is just killer. Strong diuti, good possum. Uh, they jam charted this possum. Let's see what they have to say about it. They call it an extended jam, vintage '98 fish sound with technically astute but patient playing. Contributions by all band members. None of the frenetic guitar-dominated fury of '92 and '95, but also lacking. Any real improvisational elements? I'm sorry. Did they say also lacking any real improvisational elements? And yet they put it in the jam chart, and it's 15 minutes long. That's weird. Um, <laughs> but David Bowie's not. Right. Right. Sorry. Ah. Uh, <laughs> sometimes the contradictions of our this free uh, volunteer fan site. Um, hey, you know, I'm not complaining. I'm just uh, commenting. Yes, exactly. Yeah, I mean, I think like this set to me, it's it's a festival first set. You know what it's I mean? Good set. Like it gives you a sample of where the band is at in a lot of different cases. It it's fun. It uh, it keeps you entertained, and it does a good job of by the time Possum ends, you're like, cool. I didn't exude an insane amount of energy, and now I'm ready for a burrito. The final two sets of the run. A burrito before the final, the final two sets, two of, the sets of the run. Yeah. There it is. There it is. And yeah, time. You got time for that. I don't know if you remember this. Like I know at Magnaball when they did the three set show, they did the the first set started at about three o'clock in the afternoon and went three to five, and then they had a big gap. They didn't come back on stage until about seven thirty, eight o'clock at night. Do you remember if yeah, that like was the normal same thing here first set was... time? I think it was the same here, because no. by the end of the night, you know, it was not twelve or whatever when it end all ended. Right the encore was over it wasn't that late you know so i think that's about right um maybe 
I don't know. I, I, there was a good hour, two, uh, probably two hours in between the sets, but I, I couldn't tell you like what time it was. Somebody right. else wrote that down. Um, <laughs> but, <laughs> but we were having a very good time and, uh, and we we're very excited, but I, I, I'm pretty sure this was the one where I, you know, we ran out, got some, got some dinner and came on back, came back, got ready. You get ready for personally Stuff. speaking. This is my favorite set of the entire festival. Um, if you don't count the ambient set, which I kind of think of as its own separate thing, this set, you, you said it was 102 minutes long. It features one kind of initial, very strong jam segment that flows from down disease and a piper and a ghost and a fluffhead has a bit of a breather in circus and velvet sea. You get the surprise, hold your head up, sexual healing, hold your head up. And then we got to close it out. We can't close it out with hold your head up. Run like an antelope and a really fun run like an antelope. Um, talk to me about this disease. Piper ghost fluffhead. What are your thoughts about this segment? Well, the disease is great, right? It is. Um, it's almost 20 minutes. Like if I think we, t- when I mentioned the two uh, LP set to you, I mentioned to you this before we started recording that I might would make a third LP and this disease would go on one side um, and the ghost would go on the other, but mm-hmm. that would leave out the Piper. And you um, need the Piper. I think you need the Piper. And one of the I things I want to point out about this Piper is that this, this right here is a proper slow build Piper. You are several minutes into this Piper before it really starts to do the accelerando they keep it nice and slow and uh it's terrific as it should be it's not other in other ways it's not an especially remarkable piper but it's a good piper and it's a pretty much a package deal with this downward disease making that a good 30 minutes to start off your set and it just like it showcases this what we were talking about at the top, like the groove, the ambient nature, the kind of soft around the edges aspect of Fish's plane in 1998 that contrasted with 1997's just like very aggressive. We're changing everything up and you'd better deal with it. This is a little bit more mellow <laughs> and, and dealing with it is a good thing. Um, but this is a bit more mellow. This is a bit more accessible in some cases. Um, it foreshadows the dark grooves that are going to happen in fall of 1999. I would even argue aspects of this festival foreshadow the darkness of the 2.0 era where the band is just going to be kind of immersed in the underworld musically in a lot of cases where, where like the bright trilling, peaks of the early nineties have given way to what can we explore underneath in the kind of the, the, the wee hours of the evening and this disease Piper ghost. And then you had the fluff head there just kind of, that's it for me. Like that showcases where the band was going and where they were at. To me, this whole set is all about, and will forever be about the ghost. I think that this is one of the best versions of ghosts that's ever been played. The riff. I want to give a, Big shout out to my very close friend, John McGar, who 
pushed this ghost on me. I remember the first time he asked me if I'd listened to it, I was kind of like, it's good. And he was like, no, 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 no. If you really, really listen to it, he was like, it's one of the most unique riffs you'll ever hear Trey discover. Okay. I'll go back and check it out. There's a riff. It emerges around like seven, eight, nine minutes into the jam. I don't know the exact timestamp, but you'll know it when you hear it. It's a riff that has absolutely no business being repeated the first time you play it. It, it doesn't flow properly. You hear Trey hit like four or five different strings and stretch across what feels like eight or nine different guitar frets. Like it's just, it's a riff that I have no idea how he discovered. (laughs) And yet he repeats it over and over again. And it just blows me away every time I hear it. It's such a creative moment in the overall set and adds something to this ghost that, um, it's a really special it's a really special version i'm super into it i love i love how it speaks to everything we've talked about about where the band was at at this point in time and i love how it speaks to kind of the subtle nature of what made fish really special in 1998 that doesn't get posterized in the way that like the aggressive ghosts of the fall tour do yeah no we were talking about this ghost after we were talking yeah. about this ghost on the way home this is this is a it was a moment and and I think the fact that they follow it with Fluffhead, it really reminds me, it's funny that we're doing this today, it reminds me very much of the way Fluffhead followed the downward disease, what's the use the other night? Which mm, is to mm. say, we come out of this long improvisatory passage, we've done subtle, we've done weird, now we're going to lay into this high energy composed piece and you're going to fucking love it. And we did. We did. Because it's Fluffhead. Of course we loved it. And they, you know, played it really well, of course. 1998. Um, and then they get us the kind of double shot ballad situation. Circus Comes to Town, which is more mm-hmm. Torch Song Ballad. And then Waiting in the Velvet Sea, which is... Weepy Ballad. And then, you know, Fishman wants to bring the love. Sexual healing. That's sweet. That's great. And then we rage with Antelope. (laughs) I love this And Antelope's got the sexual healing riff in it. Yeah. But yeah, it's a raging version of Antelope that closes down what I think is just an incredibly strong set, 100 minutes long. Um, Yeah, you know, it's interesting the point you make about Fluffhead. I think about that often, that like, that song it has such a weightiness to to like how we listen to fish at this point in our lives because of Hampton because of they didn't play it at all in 2.0 and because of moments like this where like Fluffhead is kind of it was composed but you know it they took seven different five different whatever songs that were played Cobbled together is an arguable stance just hammered them together and said you guys all go together now and it's kind of one of those songs that like showcased that initial ambition of fish that would be replaced in the late nineties by, okay, now we've written songs together over time and we've really constructed these web of songs. How do we write songs in the moment that are just as not necessarily complex, but just as forward thinking as what we wrote, uh, um, in a composed standpoint. So, um, it's, it's cool to have it be there as like the energy. Yeah, yeah. Um, they come out then for the final set 
of the overall run. Um, At this moment, yes. that's two for two for Sabotage. Wow. Wow. And that's it, incredible. I mean, I figured it was a one-shot when I saw it to begin with. And to get it the second one here, I was like, holy shit. And they, I listened to this so loud today. <laughs> Because it's the only way to listen to fish playing sabotage. Is it perfect? Beastie Boys perfect? No, but it's they commit hard. They do the voice. Trey's got a guitar in a different tuning. I mean, it's it's immense. Um, and fish playing sabotage so cool. in nineteen ninety eight is very different from fish playing sabotage in the twenty tens. Like the Beastie Boys release "Hello Nasty" in nineteen ninety eight. They're still a very relevant current band, and Sabotage oh, yeah. was anyone who was watching MTV in the mid 1990s. Sabotage was on constantly. They're contemporaries to the yeah. Beastie Boys, whereas you know, uh, unfortunately, the Beastie Boys as a group aren't around anymore. Fish comes out and plays it now. It is more looking backward rather than looking across at a you know completely different scene. Uh, so it was awesome. It was awesome when they played it then. Um, it kicks ass on tape now. And then 2001. And then 2001, which... Now we're, we're on our way. 2001 feels in a lot of cases, it's like the song of Summer 98. You've got that great version from The Gorge. You've got a number of other great versions throughout the tour. But this is like, for it all the peak here at... The Lemon Wheel with a 16 minute version in absolutely no hurry. Just it's a third set. I think that this third set works a little bit better, I would say, than the third set from the previous night, just as like a complete piece. Um, I like both of these third sets, but like this one, the Sabotage 2001 Wilson. You get Mango, you get Character Zero, Bittersweet Motel, and you get the first While My Guitar Gently Weeps in 103 shows. It just kind of it, it works as a set that like throws you out into the, the end of the festival in a really cool way. I'm going to tell you why. Pressure's off. No pressure. Set three, the night before, they're looking ahead to the ambient set. They're tinkering with those ideas they're preparing those ideas they're <laughs> what really thinks that pre-2001 2001 hits me. Okay, <laughs> fair um but this is this the big thing's done the special thing's done now it's just yes there is a show sure. closing thing in the encore yet to come but that's that's nothing like do yes they hope the gag goes well but that's not even on them they're just right. playing the music, right? <laughs> Other people have to make the, the thing, you know? They're just there to play. And so they get into 2001. Sabotage is over. Sabotage is fun. 2001, they spread it out. You know, uh, Fishnet Notes uh, teases of Cross-Eyed, super bad. James Brown, super bad uh, teases. It's awesome. It's just awesome. Wilson, Wilson is a blast. It's always fun, particularly in the latter half, you know, every, every, ever since the first, like, MSG, right? Wilson is fun. Wilson is big. Big crowd. This version gets stretched out a little bit. It's nice. Yeah. Big crowd, shouting it back to him is always good. Character Zero, again, 
oh, you know, shouting it out. Yes, people were sick of Character Zero in this era. Anybody you talk to who was on tour or whatever in 97, 98, probably rolled their eyes at Character Zero for many years after. Because they played it a lot. You know why they played it a lot? Because it rips. <laughs> it's a rockin' closer. Um, I, for better or worse, wasn't seeing a million shows in that era, so it was, you know, I always enjoyed it. Bittersweet Motel is gorgeous. While my guitar gently weeps, come, weeps, come on. Big yes. bust up. 103 shows. First since Stugat, 1997. Yeah, this set, like... You get a little bit of everything, and I think the highlight, the clear highlight to me, is the sabotage two thousand one Wilson. But I, I really enjoyed listening to all of this. Um, the band then comes out for the encore, and one of the most emotional moments of the previous year's festival, the Great Went, was the Harry Hood with the first light, uh, glow stick war, where Trey famously at the end, go get more of those things. Let's go get more of those planet. things. They're amazing. <laughs> Be careful what you wish for. I, you know, this yeah, is right. a very mid nineties environmental comment where, Hey, we love the environment, but let's throw a bunch of plastic goop up in the air. And it looks pretty. Um, it did look cool. It looks cool. Every that. time it happens, it man, the, the, the tweezer from Magnaball when those, uh, when like just thousands of glow sticks in the air, I blew, it blew my mind. Um, but Harry hood picks up from the last version that we heard uh, in this tour, August 8th, 1998, a very beautiful Harry Hood from Mary with the Post. Moves into a jam. Um, and then that moves into the first baby elephant walk. Boo, do, 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 do. From five, uh, from 514 shows ago, 12, one, 1992. Walk us through this gag. You were there. You watched it. What was it like? I've only seen pictures. There's there's a thing over there, and like it's kind of where they had the big uh, art tower the the year before. But it's you know I don't I don't honestly remember recognizing what it was, but they um, until till it happened, and the this thing is it's an elephant, and it moves through the crowd like towards the exit. And it's huge, and it's bizarre. It's just weird and silly. So I see this, and at first I'm just like, "Really? What?" And then it just just started laughing because it was hilarious. And they're playing Baby Elephant Walk. This is a fucking elephant. This is this makes no sense. Perfect. It's exactly what fish should do. <laughs> yeah, it's it's um, amazing to me that you know, like you've got this. You got Harry Hood. You got Harry Hood. Harry like, Hood. And, that was amazing. Like, and then. Okay. I want to be clear. I'm not complaining about this. I'm right on your. I'm on yeah. your side. But like, you've got the most emotional peak in your catalog to end the festival on a high note, and instead, let's just diverge. We're not going to end Harry Hood, and we're going to go into this just bizarre art piece because I, I kind of wonder if it was just like either they were in on the joke the whole time, or if there was like a sense of how this would be something bigger than what it is. And in the, in the end of it, you just have Fishman on stage with the trombone and this giant elephant walking. The trombone oh, is what makes it work, amazing. of course. Right. Um, and and honestly, I love listening to it now. 
I don't even visualize what I experienced then so much as I actually think it works as a good weird ass piece of music with the trombone kind of blaring through the thing. And like, it just, it stands up as kind of a little conceptual piece, but I, I dig it. And, um, it doesn't hurt that I was there, but I don't think you have to have been there to kind of dig that music now. Weird. I'm looking it up Go right fish. now Do as, it. as we're talking me. because I feel like was this on an yes this song is featured in the Simpsons season two episode five oh, yeah. dancing Homer this is the dancing oh, yeah. Homer song I I was he's trying to remember the, exactly where this was when he's going to the Isotopes games and dancing on the uh, on the uh, top of dugout to get the audience going moves to Capital City it's one of my favorite Simpsons episodes yeah, of episode. all time. Ends in in sadness, but you know it. Uh, well, baby elephant walk. It's he there. shoots a shot. He gets this. He gets this moment in the in the big show. Then goes back. Goes back down. <laughs> There's a parallel in there with uh, yeah. with fish ending the festival on this, but um, I cannot believe I we we talked through 13 hours worth of music here in a in a manner of 90 minutes. I greatly enjoyed this. I greatly enjoyed re-listening to the Lemon Wheel. I was not planning on re-listening to the Lemon Wheel in full over the last uh, day and a half. If anyone knows anything about this show, it is that I I feverishly plan out our episodes weeks in advance. And mainly because I get so nervous if I cannot listen to something in full. And so yesterday to today, listening to this entire festival was a complete joy any last See, thoughts that you have about the lemon wheel? Well, first of all, now you know how I do it. It's always cram. 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 <laughs> <laughs> I rely on what I already knew and then cram. Um, yeah, so Overlooked Festival, perhaps. Should it be? No. It's a no. little different. It has a, doesn't have the same kind of high points as some of the others. And I think that's good. Like... You know, you've got your Went Gin, but you've got your Lemon Wheel Ghost. Um, you've got your Lemon Wheel 2001. You've got that gumbo sanity tweezer thing that you should all be very familiar with. Um, I'll never forget it. You've got a Divided Sky. Yes, there's lots of good Divided Skies. Aren't we lucky? <laughs> Listen to this one. Um and then you have your ambient jam, which can definitely be taken out and listened to on its own at different times. And you might listen to the rest of the show um, and should be. And it should also be released as a second LP that of a two LP set that includes the soundcheck jams. Because you should all listen to soundcheck jams, too. Um, I mentioned also that I was going to talk about the FM situation. So Yes, please if, add that. If you're listening on Relisten, uh, which is... Basically, it's not released, so this is how you your average person listens, unless you've got a good shit in collection and you're listening to uh, live tapes, which is admirable and worthwhile. Um, the sound check and the the 16th, the final night, are FM recordings. They broadcast it. We taped it. Awesome. Uh, the, the 15th is a front of board recording, and it sounds pretty good. It's a good tape. We need and deserve proper 
non-FM compressed soundboards of these shows. I couldn't help but listen to the that tweezer, for example, and hear phasing in the front of board tape. I enjoyed hearing some of the audience noise and stuff in the, in the front of board tape. Um, and I want to hear what Trey's tone really sounds like. Mm. The way you hear it on the soundboards. What the ambient jam really sounds like on the soundboard. I, I appreciate a good audience tape, but I think that we would all be well served by an official release of the soundboards, Kevin Shapiro. Please, sir. Thank you. I would go even a step further and say that 1998 and 99 are the two years that are most benefited by soundboards. Just the style of play from those two years, it's so nuanced. It's so the subtle. Dynamics I, are substantial through these. And we hear that in earlier years, but like... It's not like 98. Years, yeah, no. Dynamics are Like massive. perfect example. And, and a taper's got to, you know, either run their drier levels... Or you're going to have parts where it's either because if they set their levels conservatively, then the quiet bits are going to be too quiet. They set their levels high, the hot bits might be too hot. If they're not driving it, you know, run it, riding the meters the whole time, you're going to have trouble with your tapes. So there's a little taper perspective. But The best example I can provide is... Uh... The eleven eleven ninety eight show from Grand Rapids that was released. That show, I remember getting the audience tape of, and being told this this Haley's is what you have to hear, and it's an amazing Haley's. And I, I I think I listened to that, maybe listened to bits and pieces of the other show of the other parts of the show, but didn't really dive in. And years later, they released it officially on Soundboard, and suddenly, what do I hear? Oh my God. The middle part of this gumbo is some of the most incredible music I've ever heard. Sirens and sounds that like you just can't pick up on the audience tape. Absolutely nothing against like I'm right there with you. I will I prefer to listen to my December '97 shows in audience quality because like the way that those tapers capture the room is just stunning. But something about the '98 sound needs the soundboard. So I'm right there with you. We need this released, especially outdoor shows. I mean, there are. Yeah, good front of board tapes, clearly, and they're pretty good. But I need that contrast, man. I want to hear Trey's rawest tone. That's what we need. That's what we yeah, need, man. All right, so, so I'm gonna go listen to uh, Beans Country Beans. Sessions. Um, we we will be back on Wednesday, but not at this time. I want to tell everyone out there who's listening, who's hanging, we'll be back Wednesday. And starting Wednesday, we will not have a normal HF pod episode until, I believe, I believe, until September sometime. No, it is August 17th when we have a little bit of a break between the Alpine run and the Dix run. So lots and lots of 2022 action coming at you there's a chance we might do something on august 10th we'll keep you posted on that but um august 17th is gonna be our first as of right now our first episode to return to this time and place maybe august 10th we'll see because there's no tuesday night show that that week but we gotta see um, hey brian 
what time can people find us uh, going forward then after you went while fish is on tour? People can find us at 1 p.m. Eastern every day after fish shows. So this week we've got Tuesday, Wednesday at the man. You can find us Wednesday, Thursday at 1 p.m. Eastern. We got Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Bethel and Hartford. You can find us Saturday, Sunday, Monday, and you can find us on Sunday doing a pre-show hang that we'll be posting a link to here shortly. Pre-show hang will be back. Very excited about I gotta that. I got to remember that because I want to be here for it. You got to be there for it. I got to send out a link. I got to do that. Um, yeah. We also want to let you know, last thing before we go here, um, the dudes over at Wook Plus, we've had them on. They're going to be on for one of the Philly recaps here this week. They do Wook Plus Live on um, Wednesdays, Wednesday evenings. Uh, or, or excuse me, sorry, sorry, sorry. They do the lot Wednesdays prior the to the show, and then they do the post-show the lot at uh, 15 minutes after the band goes off stage. So keep an eye out for that. We've done a lot. We've done a lot yeah. here. Uh, as I'm Ben Goodrich go. says, that's a lot of podcasts. It's a lot of podcasts. Somebody's got to do it, Sorry. though. It's a lot. There's a lot to talk about. Um, we'll be back Wednesday at 1 p.m. Eastern to talk about night one at the man. Until then, go listen to some Lemon Wheel, and we'll talk with you all soon. See ya. Hey, this is Steve Choi, host of the Musicians Guild podcast, part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. Within the four walls of the Musicians Guild, we'll be discussing the habits, idiosyncrasies, experiences, and general psychology of my friends and peers, all involved with music in various capacities. Listen and subscribe at SoundTalentMedia.com. Hey, what's up? My name's Lurk, and I'm the host of Lamgoat's Van Flip Podcast. Every week, I have in-depth conversations with bands from all over the scene, big and small. We also like to keep our finger on the pulse and showcase up-and-coming bands on the show as well. So come check out Lamgoat's Van Flip Podcast.